Well, good morning, Christian Renewal Church. So glad to be able to be part of the current series, the Generous Life series um, this morning. I'm grateful for the honor and privilege of participating. I want to thank the worship team. What a great job of leading us in the worship. Um, very thankful for you. And I thank Pastor Mark and Mark Anthony for, for uh, the great work they've done with the sermons the last few weeks, with the generous giving of themselves, the generous giving of our time, the generous giving of our talents. And today I get to discuss through the word of God, the generous giving of our, of our treasure, talking about our treasure today. Um, so when I think of giving treasure, one of the first verses that come to my mind is in Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21, uh, where Jesus himself said, um, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this, there's this connection of our treasure and our heart. And so to help with this, I thought it might be good for you guys. And I think... I think they should be hanging around. I think, yeah, there they are. They're hanging around. We're going to give everybody some hearts. Everybody gets some hearts today. You missed that heart. I threw that heart directly to you, and you missed that heart. How'd you miss that heart? Uh, Prescott is really challenging me to go way back in the back, and I didn't quite make it. Here's some hearts. Everybody gets a heart. Everybody gets hearts today. Everybody gets hearts. And these are, these are called stress ball hearts. I never really got the thought of stress balls. Ready to go, Fred. Um, because they're supposed to actually not, they don't cause stress. They're supposed to be relieving stress. So it's supposed to be relieving stress balls or something like that. I didn't do very well there. But look, then I hit them right, right on the target, right there. Gosh, how did I miss? There we go. Hearts everywhere. Hearts everywhere. Hearts everywhere. Yeah, I've still got a couple more. I don't want to look weird with all these hearts. There we go. One for the bolts. One for the beards and the, oh, I hit the wall. Golly day. I should have practiced this before, like the service. It would have been a whole lot better. Anyway, so these hearts are supposed to be stress ball hearts. One more. But actually, um, they're intended to de-stress. Let's de-stress with these balls. In other words, uh, you might be challenged today in your heart. And so you might just want to squeeze that little heart if you're challenged a little bit. Um, because what I'm about to do is I'm about to bring you into a little journey. Um, this word treasure, Greek word for treasure, thesaurus, means a deposit. It talks about wealth, both, both literally and figuratively, talking about your wealth. Um, it's a place which is good and precious things are collected and laid up. And I, I, I've been fortunate that since I was young Christian, I was three months later, got here to Christian Renewal. And Christian Renewal Church has really taught me well the culture of giving. I'm very honored, very grateful for this church and how they've taught me the culture of giving. Um, we've started churches, and when we started churches, Pastor Lig and I remember several times bringing people up, um, you know, saying, hey, if you want to be part of this startup, people would come up and we'd bless them and pray for them. Sowing those people into new churches, um, even, even when we wanted to start the Christian Renewal on St. Simon's, uh, we did a big offering. I think we raised over $100,000 for that offering, 140000 I knew 
153,000. I knew I could count on you, Gail. Thank you, 153,000. But we raised, and you think, well, that was for the down payment of the land. No, it was for us to sow into missions. And when we sowed into missions, God showed up and provided eight acres of land on St. Simon's Island, um, just like he said he would, right? And then um, community events that we've done. So I've always known in this church that somewhere between 10% of my treasures and 100% of my treasures is meant to be gathered for the church and for the work of the Lord. Um, even my own experience, um, someone in this church or some people in this church provided for my education at Oral Roberts University. They sewed into me. Um, I was taught to sew what I had. I didn't have much, but I sewed what I had. And somebody, I don't know who, or some buddies in this church sewed in my first couple years at Oral Roberts University, which was thousands and thousands of dollars. I don't know who it is. And, and um, I'm praying that that has brought forth a, a blessing to others as they, as they sewn in me. Um, but then recently, recently I had this experience um, through, many of you know, I, I direct this, the pregnancy center. And we had this opportunity to meet with some folks from the National Christian Foundation. And the National Christian Foundation is a, a great organization, and they introduced me to uh, something called a, a Journey of Generosity. Um, and the Journey of Generosity is this, this event that an organization called Generous Giving has created to inspire generosity in the church. It's not directive, but it is an opportunity for you to kind of check your heart. So that's what we're doing today. We're checking your heart. I'm going to take you on my heart check journey and I'm hoping out of that heart check journey, it might inspire you to maybe check your own heart um, as far as where your treasures are going, what you're doing with your treasures. Um, so we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're, we're, uh, there was about to be a collection for the Christians in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I mean, if you just end with that, that basically if you are just giving nothing, you're getting nothing. In other words, what you, in other words, if you sow a little bit, you're just gonna get a little bit. But whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So there's these two viewpoints of how much you sow and how much you receive, and it should be a no-brainer that we as Christians, our hearts should inspire us that we should be sowing constantly, that we should be sowing bountifully so we can receive bountifully from the Lord. Um, each one, and here, here's the check here, each one must give as he decided in his heart. In other words, there's something to do with your heart. And again, if the Lord begins to move in your heart, you may want to squeeze your heart a little bit to kind of get the feeling. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not reluctantly, which, which gives you the, the, the other side of that. It must be with purpose. There must be some sort of, there, there must be some intention. There must be some intentionality. There must be some, you're doing this for a purpose. There's, there's something behind, you know, you're just not, not, not just shruggingly doing this. There is something to it when you choose to sow. Not under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And if you've been coming to Christian Renewal for a while, you'll notice that when we do the tithes and offerings that everybody rejoices, that's out of that heart of, we know we're giving as cheerful givers. So if you ever thought, you know, new to the church, you thought, well, why are they all clapping? They're giving away their, their money and stuff. What, what, what's that? Well, it's because we're cheerful givers. We, we want to give. We want to, we, we want to be there, right? And so God is able to make all grace abound to you, this is verse eight, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there's this promise that's built in here that when we sow, there's gonna be, you're sowing and giving away, but it's coming back and you're gonna have more than enough to keep giving and giving and giving. In other words, it's, it's, it's like almost crazy not to give. It's almost like you're insane not to sow. It's like, why wouldn't you give? But what happens over a period of time, and I'm, I'm being honest with myself, I, 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 over a period of time is you just got, you get kind of comfortable. And you're kind of tipping Jesus. Matter of fact, you might be tipping Jesus less than you tip somebody at the local restaurant. Just tipping. Here's your 10%, Jesus. Get my inch, I get my, my tax return at the end of the year. Am I above 10%? If I'm not, I need to write, maybe write that last check to make sure I'm above 10%. Just kind of reluctantly, kind of, I'll give you a little bit. I'll give the waitress at Waffle House more. I'm just telling you my heart where I've been. It's not that I haven't been generous. I mean, we, our family's been very generous. We do a lot of things, but, but I haven't been, if, when you read this passage of scripture, it kind of does something to you that, man, there's something to this. That, again, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, this continues to produce more and more as you choose to give. As it is written, this is verse nine, he has distributed freely, he who has distributed freely, in other words, our Lord, who's distributed to us freely, if we choose to participate in this process, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply, will supply and multiply, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's a purpose behind this giving. There's a purpose behind your treasure other than gathering it for yourself. There's a purpose. There's this plan. Where was I? For the ministry of this, is verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the many thanksgivings to God, by their approval of their service, they will glorify God because of the submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of your surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So as I'm, as I'm pondering this passage of scripture, the Lord's doing a work in my heart saying, bro, you're not resembling this passage of scripture. You got some work to do. You've grown accustomed to giving, but not being this super abundant giver who sees this purpose and all the time kind of looking around with the Holy Spirit for this moment to give. Always looking, always being aware. 
And so it challenged me, further challenged me um, in looking in, in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul's third missionary journey. He's, he's ending his third missionary journey. And verse 17 says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, which is somewhere between a 35 to 50 mile walk or ride. He called the elders of the church to come to him. So he's in, he's in Miletus and he said, hey, elders from Ephesus, we want to come on over. I got some words I want to say to you. And so in verse 25, we pick up on, he says, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have got, gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's, he's starting off at verse 25 saying, hey, I've called you together to go and tell you this is the last time you're going to see me. Which I would think because it's the last time they're going to see him, this is probably a pretty important message, you know? I don't know if you've ever had that moments where you've maybe had the last time you're going to see someone and they're, they've got a very, they're, they're probably going to give you a pretty, you know, serious communication of what's going on. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's calling these Ephesian elders together and the believers that are there. He says, this might be the last time, <clears throat> this will be the last time you see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day, this is verse 26, that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So he's saying, I've been very faithful to share, share God's word. Pay careful attention to your, yourselves and all your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So he's saying, now, now y'all take good care of what we've started here, right? In Southeast Georgia language. I know that, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come and among you, not sparing the flock. And he's saying, look out there, you know, We've done a good job getting this kind of started, but there may be some that are going to come and try to tear, tear apart what we started, so be aware of that. And he even says that even inside the church it might be happening. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish each one of you with tears. And then, then he starts this new statement. He says, now, and now I commend you. So, so to me, this is a very important statement. He says, now I commend you. This is what I'm going to commend you with. I've, I brought you all together and I want to commend you with these statements. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, you need to get closer to God. You need to be full of his grace. You need to experience the fullness of the gospel. That's what you need to do. I'm commending you to that. There's more to this than just a salvation moment. There's a lifestyle that's associated with this living of being a Christian. And he's saying to you, now I, I, um, I, I'm commending you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So there's this big inheritance that God's provided for his people is what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, well, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. And so he's basically saying, yeah, hey, I, I worked hard. I took care of myself. I also took care of those around me. And um, I've, I've been doing what I'm, gonna, I'm encouraging you to do here is what, what, what he's basically setting up. In verse 35, he says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must so we work hard. Why? So that we must, must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus these are the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is one of the few times in the New Testament where we see Jesus' words being quoted outside of the gospel. And he says, we must, we, we, he, this is what Jesus said. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we had said these things, verse 36 
he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there, much weeping on the part of all, they embraced Paul and kissed him because they're recognizing this is, he's commended us, he's given us last duty, and, he, and he's, he's gone after this. Being sorrowful, sorrowful most of all because the word had been spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So I want to focus a few, on a few verses here in this, in this passage. But you see the, 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 the setting here, that Paul is communicating these last words. And the first, one of the big things is, man, the gospel is supposed to be part of your life. You've got this great inheritance as a result of this gospel, and you're supposed to do something with it. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. So this inheritance is not necessarily meant for us to store up, but for us to give out. This great grace in this gospel is not meant for us to store up, but for us to give out. Um, is what I'm seeing. So, so for example, when he said in verse 35, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than receive. And I want to give, um, in part of my journey, in, in this journey of generosity, we were introduced to Tim Keller, who I knew Tim, who passed away just a bit ago. And um, he made some statements. I'm going I'm to tell you this, some statements that I just drew from him. But what I, what I t- take from this passage is that if you understand the gospel, if you live the gospel of grace, this is one of the statements that Tim said, if I really believe the gospel, I will be radically generous. I will be radically generous. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to say before this journey of generosity, I never in my, I, I, in several years, I never thought in my brain, I want to be radically generous. I'll be generous. I'll give. I'm not out there really wanting to be radical about it. If I see a big opportunity, I'm going to do something about it. But I'm not looking to be radically generous. This, I mean, I'm just telling you my heart. I'm just telling you my, my journey. This is, not, this is not to press anything on you. I'm just telling you where I, where, 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 what I was dealing with. I, I, if I'm honest, in that first journey of generosity I attended, and, and I heard those words for the first time, that if I really believe the gospel, I'll be radically generous. And then this, this is the second statement that, that he said, I'm, I'm quoting Tim again. If I really believe I have a spiritual inheritance, if I really believe I have a spiritual, a spiritual inheritance, I will be promiscuously generous with my earthly inheritance. Now, y'all know when you hear the word promiscuous, you think it's something else. But what if the church was promiscuously generous? Every street corner. Every moment. Every thought. I'm going to be pr- promiscuous with the inheritance that God's given me. And this challenged me again. I, I, I'm just going to be honest. I, I never thought I should be promiscuously generous. I never connected those two words together. But if you do your due duty and you go to Webster's Dictionary, you know that it, it, it means more than what you think it means. It's just become a word that means what we think it means all the time. It does mean that you, you're just going to go here, there, and everywhere with what you've got and, and, and do something with it. It's unfortunately been associated with one thing in our culture. But what if, what if, what if Patrick eats? This is what the Holy Spirit was. Well, Patrick, what if you were pr- promiscuously generous? with the inheritance he's given you? What if you really did something with it? So this is all part of my journey. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, 
I mean, basically, the, the, the gospel should change my heart. If the gospel really grips my heart, it should change my heart. Now, the, the opposite becomes true here. The opposite becomes true. If I really don't believe the gospel, my heart will not be motivated or moved to be generous. In other words, if I'm not generous, I may be an imposter. Now, again, this is the Holy Spirit, Spirit working on my heart, okay? Saying nothing to you. But taking you on my journey here, I'm like, Lord, I, I, okay, I got, some, I, I, got some, I got some imposter issues I got to deal with here. If I've not been promiscuously generous, if I've not been radically generous, I, I may have some imposter issues to deal with here. The Apostle Paul, he was moved by the gospel of grace. We, we read that, right? He was not an imposter. Um, he, I mean, he said it. He said, I, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, this is verse 33 and 34 and 35. You yourselves know that in Acts chapter 20, sorry. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul freely gave his inheritance, his treasure, for the sake of the gospel. He did not covet. Now, now what does it mean to covet? This is an interesting word. Covet, um, when you look up the Greek word for it, and I'm sorry I can't, I didn't bring up the Greek alliteration for it or pronunciation for it, but it basically means to, to set the heart upon, to long for, desire, feign for, lust after. Now, to be a little more practical, I, I did, uh, I'd gotten to Webster to look at some words that, that might be synonyms that might help us for coveting. Grabby, grasping, money-grubbing, greedy. Now, what I learned in my journey is that I covet because I get something out of what I, what I treasure. Now, it's hard to admit it. Gratefully, you don't have to be up here admitting it. I get to admit it. It's hard to recognize it as sin, but I'm just greedy, money-grubbing. I'm going to save everything I can for myself, get everything I want for myself, do what I want for myself, enjoy everything for myself, store away all kinds of stuff for myself. It's hard to admit it. But hi, my name is Patrick Eads. I'm greedy. It's hard, it's tough to say that your heart's set on the wrong treasure. Let me, let me give you an example of this to chew on a little bit from my own life. Um, my father, mother, they sacrificed a whole lot to send my five siblings and I to private school. Now, I wouldn't say I was poor, but I would say compared to the other kids in the private school, I was, you know, if this is the ladder, I'm down here on the lower, maybe the, I may have made the first rung of the ladder for those that were in the school. 
I was one of the few Brunswick kids amongst the other St. Simons and Sea Island kids. I remember in fifth grade, uh, my mom, she bought me some pea green, no name, tennis shoes from J.M. Fields. Uh, that, that says it all. <laughs> pea green, no name, tennis shoes from J.M. Fields. You're laughing because you know. I mean, these didn't even have real rubber sh- soles. They were like plastic soles. It was the first time I remember being made fun of because of my no-name, pea green tennis shoes. And I really didn't like being beneath the others that didn't wear pea green, no-name tennis shoes. Even though we wore uniforms to school, I also noticed that my shirt, my my uniform shirts, they, they didn't measure up to the other kids, the IZOD shirts. The old Izod shirts. Yeah. So clothing became very important to me as part of my, my status. In eighth grade, I remember getting some of my first jobs mowing neighbors' yards in Bell Point and um, saved all my money so I could purchase, yeah, not jam fields. Go straight to Peter, Peter's male apparel. I purchased the largest child size because the, the child size were much less expensive than the adults and I, quite, I hadn't quite saved up enough. I was treasuring social status. In other words, it became effortless for me to find ways to increase my social status with my new child size Izod shirt. Are y'all hearing how pathetic this is? But it was me. That's where my heart was. This led to me deciding I would be the the top of the food chain. I wasn't going to be on the low rung. I may not be able to dress like the rest of them, but I was going to do something about my status. I was heading to Glen Academy. And my treasure was, I'm going to be popular. I'm going to do everything I can to be popular. That'll put me on the food chain way up top. It became effortless. And this is what happens when you're, when something's your treasure, it becomes effortless to do something. So it became effortless to do everything I could to be popular. But in my effortless, it took everything. Wherever your heart is, there's your treasure will flow most effortlessly. I was dominated by doing what was necessary to be popular. So my social status would climb. Where I spend my money and sow my time reveals my heart. Where I put my treasure demands my full attention. It demands my life. I also learned that money can reveal a control idol. Where I spend my money reveals my idols. Like when I save lots of money to control my future. Because God obviously can't take care of my future. Instead of relying on the Lord for our future, I'm I'm going to control everything with money I've saved. If I rest my heart on anything but God, if I rest my heart on anything but God, 
I have a lot of trouble giving my money away. I have a hard time giving my money away. Where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. Anything I treasure more than Jesus will demand my life and my sacrifice. What can I do? Again, I'm on my journey. I'm telling you my journey. I'm just giving you my journey here, y'all. I'm just telling you where I've been. What can I do? Well, I, I need to take a look at my heart. I need to make sure that Jesus is my only treasure. Two weeks ago, Pastor Mark Anthony uh, brought up Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11, which is the great kenosis statement in, in, in Philippians. I wanna read this um, to, to see this, this, this thought of treasuring Jesus. Um, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same spirit and affection and sympathy. Excuse me. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with and with one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It sounds just the opposite of what I was just talking about my own heart, right? Let each of you look not onto your own interests, but on the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, in other words, he had everything. He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, King of kings in heaven, had everything. He had everything. Who though he, had, he was in the form of God, having everything, that's my addition, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but he emptied himself, the great Kenosis statement. He emptied himself. He laid down all of his treasure, he laid down everything for the only treasure he did not have. Us. For the only treasure he did not have in heaven. You and me. So again, have this mind in your, among yourselves, which is yours is verse five, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and so confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ gave his all so that he could get the one thing that he did not have in all of his riches in heaven, and that's us. He didn't have us. And, and so you may be having a problem with that, but thinking about us being his treasure. Well, in, in, in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Once you were not his people, but now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, ladies and gentlemen, are his treasure. He gave up his treasure for us. And the obvious question would be why? So we can receive the fullness of of his treasures.
And those treasures are not meant for, for me to hoard for myself. The treasure the Lord has given me is intended to be sown into the church and his people and where the Holy Spirit leads and guides me. He wants me to experience the fullness of his inheritance. There can, then, then I can be radically generous with that inheritance. To benefit me, well, it will benefit me. If you, if you read the scriptures like me, you, it, will, you, it will benefit you. But it multiplies the kingdom. Now, to express this, I've got a video. I got lots of stories from this. Again, I'm t- taking my journey. This video is one of my, one of my steps in my journey to kind of see this radical giving. So I, w- I want to show this little eight-minute video to you to kind of see this radical giving up for Clinton per- and, and personal. I want to apologize to my small group. You've seen it. So God bless you. <laughs> I used to have this idea that I would be free um, when I was, well, I don't know. I think, I, think in, I think there was a time when I thought freedom and control had a lot to do with each other. Somewhere probably around high school, I made a decision that I wanted to go into medicine. I knew I wanted to be a physician. It was a, it was a while before I settled on the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology. I drive to work each day really feeling blessed that I have the career I have, that God has given me a job that's a ministry. I feel like I've got the best job in the world. Morning. All of pregnancy is a lesson in patience and a lesson in flexibility. It, It just teaches me as I watch women experience that, how important it is to live in the moment. I get to walk with women and families through really, really joyful times and through some really challenging times. You know, I get to experience life from the beginning to the moment the baby takes its first breath. I think the problem for, for a long while was that my vision of what was freedom was not in line with what God says is freedom. I, I mean, I had a real turning point at 37. It's about three years ago. I've been in Austin for seven years. Been in practice as an OB-GYN for seven years. I had accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. I had a successful career. I was out of debt. And I just hit a point where I realized that I had all this and I was not in the content place I imagined that I'd be. It was a really uncomfortable place to be in to realize that you'd accomplished your goals and now what? You know, now what's next? And then to feel a sense of like a, just a hole, like an emptiness inside as if something was missing and yet not know what that is. As God realigned my values with his values and showed me places where I thought I was free but I wasn't yet free, that that changed everything because suddenly there were some areas where I had to take some steps of surrender imagining that those were going to lead to more restriction and less freedom only to find the opposite was true. That was in money, that was in relationship, but I didn't really understand yet what true freedom was going to look like. So often when I get home from work I can't wait to get my shoes on and get out on the trail. 
when I'm running, I hear really radical things from God, and that's where I go to meet Him. I feel like that's the time when He puts thoughts in my head that are really beyond myself. But that's when I get ideas. I think when, when I made a decision that it was time to just go all out and live for Christ, that it was time to really discover what it meant to be an offering to Christ, to live my life fully surrendered. It started to get crazy, the things that I would hear. The biggest and most radical thing I've ever heard was your relationship and your faith are not compatible and it's time to do something about that. I and mean, that was my big breakthrough was 07. You know, God moved me out of a relationship, convinced me and convicted me that that was not honoring to Him and it was time to, to lay that down. The second most frightening thing I've ever heard God say um, had to do with my finances. You can't go and look at another culture and not do this compare and contrast of like, this is what they have, this is how they live, this is what I have, and this is how I live. There are times when I would just sit in that and it would just break me. And I just realized that it's only by God's grace that I have anything more than they have. It's not because I'm entitled to it or I deserve it. And even if I say, well, yeah, but I earned it or I worked for it, then I would hear in the other ear, but I gave you the ability. I gave you the opportunity, I gave you the talent, I gave you the funding, I gave you the resource, I gave you the education. It's like, what do you have that I haven't given you? I was on a run and I just in a conversation with him, just thinking about how might I change in response to what I had just seen, what I had just experienced. I'm just running and I hear God say, I want you to work like a doctor and I want you to live like a nurse. So I started thinking, well, sure, I could live on half my salary. And then I started thinking, well, I could live on a quarter of my salary. And I just kind of froze in that and started thinking, well, about a quarter of my salary is probably about what the average nurse is making. I basically just took my salary and I just sectioned it off. And I said, well, this is, a, this is a, what a nurse would make. And then the remaining three quarters is his. And I felt like God said, that's right, that's what you share. I'm not going to lie, it took some time getting used to living on a budget again. I hadn't really had to stop and think about how I was spending my money for a while. I don't feel like God is only asking me to spend and live within my means, but I think He's also talking to me about how I save. I mean, I've been saving for retirement pretty generously and investing a lot of money. My goals were to retire at 50 and to retire with a certain amount of money, to live at a certain lifestyle. You know, I lost six figures in an investment, and, and at that point, I felt like, you know, I, had a, I was telling you that's when I had a lot of peace, and I had a lot of peace because I felt like God was saying, why are you saving so much money? I felt like God wanted me to, to save to a lesser degree as well, and to be much more generous with my money by sharing it now. When I have a choice about whether to save or whether to share, and I get to bless somebody, often behind the scenes, and, um, and see the way that it's impacted their life, and the reality is, it feels right. It's very satisfying.
very satisfying life. And I feel like that hole that I had three or four years ago that I wondered, what is it and how do I get it filled, has been filled to overflowing. And I feel like it fills me up and then it pours out to others around me in a way that I, I hope I bring a lot of joy to people's lives. And that joy I wouldn't have to give if he hadn't first given it to me. So. It was stories like this that challenged my heart. And knowing that someone did that for me, someone like her invested in me to go to school. And yet, I'm just satisfied with a little bit of tip here and there. And maybe a, maybe a slightly radical something here and now. But it, it woke my wife and our, our hearts up to... And it's a, you know, married people, you, you get to work this team thing and, and confirm with each other. Well, I think the Holy Spirit's guiding us to do that. Um, one of the things that happened uh, with me uh, as a result of this, um, because I'm a pretty busy guy, and sometimes because I'm busy, I teach my, I even teach my volunteers and staff this, that sometimes ministry interrupts ministry, but I'll, I'll tell you that sometimes I'll, I don't allow ministry to interrupt ministry because I'm, I'm busy. I'm like, I got all this stuff. I got this little finite amount of time. But the Lord is able, when, I'm, when I sow my time, to help me reap more time. And so uh, I had this experience a couple months ago where I spoke at the Cloister Chapel. And I met a couple. And, um, and I knew that the couple found out in discussion that the couple didn't have a church that they were really settled in. So being a good elder being a good Christian, being someone that was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, I invited